0: Hey, what's up, everybody? On this week's episode of Movie Time, we're going to be talking about M. Night Shyamalan and his latest movie, Knock at the Cabin. What did Blake and I think about it? We'll keep watching it and we'll tell you. We'll also go over some of our favorite M. Night Shyamalan movies and let's see how this new one ranks within that list. And don't forget, comment. Leave your comments in the comment section. Let us know what are some of your favorite M. Night Shyamalan movies and if Knock at the Cabin is one of them. So sit back, relax, grab your favorite snack. You know what time it is. It's time for Movie movie time coming at you right now hey what's up everybody it is a new week it is time also for a new episode of movie time what's up everyone i got renee Loki geek here along with my buddy blake the wolf like what's going on my dude
1: mr renee why are you here I'm here to make friends. I want to be your friend, Renee. Yes. If
0: you see the movie, that'll
1: make sense. I I, I just want to talk to you. I just have something to talk about with you and your family.
0: No, that's great. And I think it's also time. It'll be great if we could talk and you could help me catch uh, grasshoppers. I think that's like a lot of fun
1: metaphorically we're always catching grasshoppers on, on absolutely
0: time. yeah so yeah again if you know exactly what the topic is uh you should by now if you've seen the title and all that and if you've seen the movie you know exactly what we're talking about and that is knock at the cabin the new m night Shyamalan movie that i'm sure a lot of people would be interested in hearing about or talking about depending on if you've seen the movie or not and that's what blake and i are going to do in this episode uh, but before we get into all of that stuff, if you are brand new to this channel and you haven't seen us before, what's up, everybody? Knock, knock. Who's there? We are. And it's movie time, bros. So every week we are a review, a movie review podcast where two buds just get together and we talk about movies. Um, you could find us here on YouTube every week. Just hit that like subscribe buttons if you haven't done so yet. So that you could uh, stay in touch with us and with other types of content within the same realm, hit that notification bell so you could get notified every time an episode is uploaded. Uh, audio listeners, hello! We appreciate you tuning in once again. If you're looking for an audio version of this episode, just type in "Low Key Geek" on your podcast platform of choice. Where you could download this episode and many others. And if it prompts you, leave a good rating. It you know give you some good karma if you do that um but yeah before we get into our discussion of knock at the cabin like what we usually do every week we talk about you know we catch up did you uh happen to catch up on any movies recently or over the weekend
1: renee i did my initial uh oscars nomination binge which we talked about on last week's episode of getting caught up on some of the things i'd missed that did get nominated yeah so putting off the andrea andrea riseborough of it all <laughs> um, that said, I went after that. I went into full TV mode and have just binge watched okay. Severance, and then i am rewatching Succession ahead of it coming out. Because honestly, like we love movies. We're in the lull season. We're currently at the, yeah. in the beginning of Dumpy Wary, as it's sometimes called in mm-hmm. movie world, where they're just like putting stuff out that didn't make it to the, on the oh, we need to get this out before the Oscars. So right. uh, not a ton coming out, which is why this movie is kind of nice. It's kind of the first big, exciting movie of the year from a big director. Megan had some people excited about it. And then this one is probably the the top one at this point of yeah. movies that we're excited to talk about 2023, baby.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it, it's interesting, too, but, because yeah. it seems like uh, January – January is like the dumping ground for like the horror movies, like the low budget horror movies and not saying that this is a horror movie. And, you know, it is nice to kind of see something from a, you know, a pretty prestigious director coming out. Um, and just in a couple of weeks, we're going to be seeing Ant-Man already. So it's just yeah, interesting how that'll be the biggie. Oh yeah. They're rolling in the the movies like a little earlier now in the year. So I feel like maybe in the next couple of years, January is going to be the lone dumping ground month for movies because things are going to start kicking in February, March, April and all that stuff like that. Um, But as for myself, I, too, haven't really watched anything. I I think I kind of like you, I tried to catch up on some like uh, TV shows that I haven't seen yet. I've been I've been really enjoying The Last of Us. So I've been like kind of um, reacting to that. You know, you could see that here on the channel. Um, very emotional it, yeah. yeah very emotional series Um, I think I've cried in every episode already and it's three episodes in so very very big stuff especially if you're a fan of the game now it does veer a little bit from the game um, but it definitely has uh, a lot of similarities if you are a fan of the video game but yeah have it, but I have a feeling the next couple of weeks especially the closer that we get to Oscars um, I'm going to be catching up on a lot of movies that I haven't seen yet so Uh, And we'll definitely have our moments to talk about, you know, the categories at stake and all that. And like who should be walking away with the golden statue and all that. But all that being said, why not? Let's dive into Knock at the Cabin. So Knock at the Cabin is a movie. It is, let's see, hold on. I just want to count this real now. Because Shyamalan has been doing movies since 1998. Um, And this is his one uh, let's see, as a director, this is his one, two, fifteenth 15th wow. movie. I didn't this expect it to get that movie. high. That's a lot of movies. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 15th movie that he's directed. Um, and, uh, or I think 14, sorry, I, I miscounted. It's 14. Um, a funny note, he also has written the majority of the movies that he's directed with the exception of, um, uh, actually there's no exception there. Um, the most interesting thing to note according to Wikipedia is that and I didn't know this. He was uncredited for rewriting the script to She's all that. And oh. he's he wrote the script for Stuart Little. So, how about oh. that? Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's sweet. So, okay. Yeah, M. Night is not all about the, the thriller and, uh, you know, the twisty type of movies. He can he has a heart and he does like some some like really nice writing, too. Um, but yeah, he's been doing this for a while now. And in recent years, he's been getting in the beginning when M. Night came out, he became this big phenom. Right. He people were calling him the next Alfred Hitchcock and all that because yeah, you know, his movies always have that surprise to it. Right. That kind of like fantastical twist into in the movie. And that's, it kind of started a trend in a way where it's like, Ooh, what's this twisty thing going to be? And everyone is like the shock and awe and all that stuff. Then I think people had too much expectations from him because of that. And he had a lot of movies that were not twist heavy or just the twists were just a little different. And people who were kind of, you know, shatting on him for all that stuff like that. And I remember there was a certain point where um, the trailer for um, After Earth came up. And I was watching a movie. And, with this, you know, the minute you see M. Night Shyamalan or something like that, you know, he loves having his name on the big screen, right? So you'll see M. Night Shyamalan everyone in the audience groaned. And they're like, oh, God, yeah. And at that point, I was like, wow, he's gotten to that point. His
1: reputation flipped, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. Because, again, the people were excited for his movies. But I think, you know, by the time we got Lady in the Water, The Happening, and especially with The Last Airbender, that's kind of when favor for him, like, kind of went downwards. Um, and then now, in recent, you know, years... Because of The Visit, Split, Glass, um, his reputation has been coming back up again. And he's doing also that Apple TV Plus show that a lot of people seem to be enjoying. Um, so, you know, it's it's interesting to see like how the audience is going to react to certain movies. Now, this movie in particular, it is a Shyamalan movie, but it's definitely not one of those crazy, twisty plot type of movies. You know, there is a certain twist in it, but it's not your typical Shyamalan twist. Um, he does have his same directorial tropes, you know. I love the way he frames shots, the panning shots, you know. Um, one thing I mentioned in my solo review is that I really love how he doesn't necessarily show the the big thing happening. Yeah. He loves to have it off camera, so it kind of gives more of that suspense feel to it, you know, kind of like, ooh, what just happened, right? Uh, so I love that he does that. And sound, like his sound in this movie was actually really, really well done. Um, It definitely full usage of the surround sound where you could hear one thing on this side, something else happening on this side. Um, So really, really cool stuff. Um, Overall, I mean, I I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was pretty entertaining. Uh, I was pretty uh, kept, uh, you know, at the edge of my seat, you know, because of the suspense. And the one thing interesting that this movie did, and I want to know your take on it in just a bit, is... We got right into it immediately. Like there was no lead up to, you know, like when you see the trailer, you see the family driving to the cabin, singing along to the song and all that. So one would assume that that's like the beginning of the movie, right? Like, oh, you know, we're going to see them going to the cabin and then things are going to happen, like maybe uh, at the end of the first act and all that. But no, here, boom, we, we jump right into it. Like that's when the weirdness really starts to happen right away. And all that precursor stuff are done in flashbacks, um, which was really, really interesting. So um, how did you feel about that as the movie started? And, you know, and then obviously, how did you feel about the movie when you went to watch it?
1: Overall, I enjoyed the movie. I've been out on Shyamalan, like so many people have, uh, Mm -hmm. for a while. Um, I think The Happening was when I kind of fell off. I actually liked Lady in the Water. I wasn't that mad about After Earth. I found it to be an entertaining action movie. But as far as the heyday of Signs, Unbreakable, Sixth Sense, even The Village, like some of those to me are like all-time great movies. And he hasn't been on that level. I will say, we talk about this all the time. So much of movies is the expectation game. What your theater experience is like and what you go into with it a lot of times ruin movies for people. So then if you go in expecting your mind to be blown, it's going to be really hard to blow your mind at that point, if that's what you're kind of bringing to the table. And if you say, if it's anything less than everything in the world, completely changed for me when I saw this, like everybody's going to be disappointed by that director from then on. So I've, I've always been curious how he pivots because we know he has the technical skills to be a great director And some of directors like that become directors for hire. And you could almost see him like, you know, he's directing the 43rd Marvel movie or something like that. I'm glad he's kind of stayed in his little auteur lane and done his own movies where he's writing them and it's got his name on it. He hasn't had to fully sacrifice that with maybe a couple exceptions in his filmography. Um, But this one, I think I went into it knowing... Okay, in the past, I've been disappointed by his movies. I've loved some of his movies. Let's just go in and see if I like it as a movie and try to get rid of some of that. That mm-hmm. happens with artists all the time is they have a big breakout. In, I'm thinking in music, right? They have a big breakout and then they I, they either do the same sound too much and it's boring or they change it too much and people are mad about that. There's no real way to win. But theoretically, eventually with your career and over time, you build enough goodwill and you have enough good products. Like, Hopefully especially after this movie, I I could see him, you know, still being able to do his thing for the rest of his career. Who is 52 years old and has 15 movies in the bank. That's amazing. He's got a few classics on his hands. Yeah. So overall with the expectation reset that we've gotten in, in recent years, I think that helped Mm. overall. I appreciated the movie. I thought it was well done. I thought the camera work like the, his hand on the movie, I thought was really well done cast, great acting. Uh, He's been known to get some pretty good performances from folks. The story was pretty straightforward, but compelling enough. We'll get to theories on is it real, is it not real? Because there is some level of twist happening here, but not in the sixth sense way. Um, Basically, at the very end of the movie, you're kind of watching like, okay, is what this family experienced real? Were the, the bad guys, were they were they on to something about the apocalypse? That's kind of the only real question at hand, but I was genuinely curious and a little on the edge of my seat of like, give me an answer here. We'll get to that in a second. Um, the theater reaction, there was some light applause at the end. Uh, honestly, Paul oh. Kidman got more applause in the beginning. <laughs> um, buddy, I went with cried at one point, um, a, a, a little sentimental part near the end of the movie. Ooh. Okay. There, there was like some decent family drama happening in this one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we can get into, into that, too, when we're going over themes uh, yeah. of the movie. The, as soon as it ended, one guy in a row behind me goes, that was so bad. Listeners, if you're in a movie, don't ever do that. It can just, like, it's just the most punch-you-in-the-face-worthy thing to say at the end of a movie, or how much you loved it. A friend has a rule, which is the subway rule of, like, we're in New York, and it's however long it would take to walk to the near subway station, don't speak about the thing until you get yeah. there. It gives you some time to decompress. And then you're not also, like, coloring other people's experience with what, what – did they enjoy it? And then, like, I'm surprised there's not more fights after movies with times like that. Oh, yeah, be, like, yeah. Like, it honestly, to me, it's very offensive and rude yeah. to, like, just shit on something, especially if somebody's in a moment and the end credits right. are happening. And So anyway, um, it's this is going to be one where if somebody goes into it and they want to shit on it, they can. If they want to say it's not as good as his old stuff, they can. But – As far as an actual film product, especially February, I'm not very mad about it at all um, with the expectations I went into it with. As far as going back to what you're saying with the beginning of the movie, the flashbacks, I I didn't really love how those were done. uh, But it was good at giving us some backstory that helped fill out the characters. In the start of the movie, it basically goes opening credits. I really like the font they used. I thought it was pretty well done. We've seen it in other movies where they're giving clues of what's going to be shown later. And um, I'm thinking of like the King Kongs, a recent one where you're like getting some hints at the mission that you're about to go through. And in this case, it's the wild visions and doodling of the apocalypse people. Um, Then we go into the daughters playing outside. And that's always terrifying. Actually, get a little bit of horror movie classic. I think it's Frankenstein when the girl's picking the the dandelion or whatever, and we mm-hmm. get a little bit of that with Dave Bautista. So there's a shout out there, and then, but it's pretty suspenseful. You're like, I know this isn't good, but Dave Bautista seems pretty like a gentle giant. So you're going, when's the other shoe going to drop? And within what five ten minutes, it's full people are breaking in windows and the family's yeah. being terrorized and there are weapons being wielded, et cetera. Um, poor, poor one. The daughter crying. Yeah. Um, don't let them in. Don't let them in. We get it gets pretty intense pretty quickly. Yeah. And then we have essentially a the whole movie set in one room with a few flashbacks in the middle. Um, so with that, it's a pretty simple premise, um, and it's a pretty simple story that has some pretty pretty big concepts at hand. Yeah.
0: No, for sure. It's it's interesting too that a lot of the movies that we've been getting recently are those chamber m- movies those chamber films where it only takes place in one location right now yeah we do have a little bit of the woods and the outside and we do venture off into that in certain parts throughout the movie but yeah for the most part it just takes place in this one cabin um good budgeting which le- decision
1: and i think covid oh, maybe sure. had something to do with that oh yeah there's some movies Absolutely. That were, with covid necessitated that like the malcolm and marie two people in a house and three cameramen or whatever but also yeah. the box office realities of the world they may have said We'd love to give you this project. It was a very popular script based on a on mm-hmm. a book, and it was one of those. Um, I forgot what the list is called, but it's the 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 movies, uh, the scripts that haven't been made yet that have the best reputation. It was like a. It was um, high on that list, given mm-hmm. the movie. But I wouldn't be surprised if they're like, "We're not so sure how much money we're willing to bet on you sure. anymore." So here you go, and he gets to make a little cabin. It's a it's a smart choice if you have a smaller budget. But it's still yeah. a big story and a, a lot happening. so I'm, I'm excited to get into it a little more with you. No, for
0: sure. yeah. and I think like you said, like it's it's a a good it's like actually a great thing for M Knight to take on a project like that because again, okay. we've seen so much success the the Bloomhouse success, right where you just spend a little bit of money and you make a great compelling story, you know well-directed movie and it becomes this big phenomenon, this big you know hit. Um, I believe uh, A24 is also known for that too. Little budget, but getting good, reputable people attached to these projects who just want to do experiments here and there or work on something different. And boom, they become big and all that. Um, So for MIT... Last year, A24,
1: you had bodies, bodies, bodies. It's all set in one house. It's pretty smart. It's easy in this genre too. You don't Mm -hmm. have to do a big car chase and explosions, which there's a little bit of that, but there's also... Some budget-saving techniques happening too, where you're talking about he's not showing all of the action on the camera. Yeah, Uh, that's that's a pretty good way to save money. You don't have to get the stunt coordinator and Mm -hmm. all the fake blood and spend a whole half day like reshooting the body getting squished or whatever. The planes falling out of the sky. Uh, It was. I feel like it was a smart movie um, and a limited palette, and that lets him do more rather than what some directors do, especially if they're like, okay, I got to have a comeback or I have this mm-hmm. reputation, and they give them a lot of money, and then they have too much freedom. It's kind of nice to give somebody like this, who's who's a very smart director, sort of a limited playing field, and then watch yeah. them do more within that.
0: No, for sure, and I think that's one of the reasons too why it really, really, really reminded me of science. Um, you know, science is is definitely one of my fa- one of my you know favorite Shyamalan movies, and. You know, science takes place just in primarily that one house. Yeah, they go into town at a certain point and have the cornfield and all that. But the most suspenseful moments of the movie are taking place in that house, in the house, not seeing what's really happening outside. You know, like, you know, the moments where they're at night. And the aliens are showing up and, you know, they're kind of like rustling the door, you know, hands through the bottom, all that stuff like that. You know, those are like the greatest, most intense, suspenseful moments and like kind of like scary moments, too. Here, you just have all these people in the cabin not really knowing if what's happening to them is real. You know, they, they uh, portray whatever the events are just through news reports on the television. Like it's not something that they actually see for themselves outside, except you know towards the end when you know the darkness comes and you know the lightning's going all over the place. So it's it's very creative way to tell a story, and I think it is a perfect kind of uh, way for M Night too to express his creativity and and like really like put his directing chops full on force. So I, I definitely appreciated that for sure. Let's quickly talk about um, at least some of the performances. Because I I think Bautista is hands down the breakout in this movie. I mean, he is so good. Um, again in my solo review, I, I said like this is definitely one of his uh better dramatic roles that he's done. Um, and you can kind of understand why he wants to get out of that whole comic book genre kind of thing, out of the prosthetics and makeup, and actually just wants to go out and act. You know, like we've seen him do dramatic roles like in Blade Runner 2049. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit of a dramatic role in um Dune. Uh Glass Onion was like a nice little like thing for him where he could kind of combine his drama and comedy skills. Um right. so but but he's not in makeup. So is we're actually seeing him doing all this stuff. So I, I think Batista definitely has a bright future ahead of him after Guardians is done for him. Um and he's proving to be. A really pretty good actor you know especially coming from the wrestling world and yep. we could have the discussion later too as far as like who, who like out of everyone who's come from wrestling who's like the better actor and all that because i think there is definitely the an argument the
1: yeah <laughs> yeah well oh, just wow. because of princess brides yeah
0: exactly exactly oh hands down that's it that's it he's the winner <laughs> clear-cut winner um
1: <laughs> one movie 100 yeah. shooting yeah <laughs> that's it yeah. That's it. Yeah. Perfect, perfect record. Well, honestly, Dave Bautista, he's, he's up there. Like yeah, John Cena is in some pretty crappy movies and has some good, funny roles. Wayne The Rock Johnson's been in a million movies and some of them are successful. That's mm-hmm. about all we can say there. They're all pretty successful, but as yeah. far as actual like acting chops, working with high quality directors, when he's working with Denis, Denis Villeneuve in Dune yes. and Ryan yeah. Johnson in uh, Glass Onion, Mm-hmm. Um, and then how with like a classic film director, like that's pretty impressive. That's, that's cool. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so I really, really loved his performance here. I thought everyone else did a pretty good job. Um, Rupert Grant, Ron Weasley himself, who I thought was going to have a more prominent role in this movie, ends up biting it pretty early, which I, I was not expecting, but leading to that moment he was pretty good uh even though i like to make fun of his accent where i i did hear it go in and out which was kind of interesting um and i know in my solo review i said it's a southern accent i still think it sounds like a southern accent to me even though he (laughs) he's from massachusetts i get it i know um but uh yeah was there any other now one thing I do want to get back to, and that's when we start really diving deeper into this movie, is there's still something up with the his character, I think, in, in this whole thing. Um, you know, the the double identity and all that stuff. So I definitely we should like put a pin on that. But was how how were the performances for you? Like what stood out for you?
1: Honestly, they were all really good. I am either a fan or enjoyed the work of everybody in here. Um yeah. Definitely Bautista was, I think he's, you know, the dude on the movie poster for this one. Right. Even though he's not the protagonist, but in a way he is. Um, the couple I thought were fantastic. I, overall, that um, de- you definitely got good performances out of folks. And these are roles where if you're, you know, a scream queen, then you can get work in these, in these movies. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, it, it was a lot of... Pipe, uh, you know, very close-up shots of their faces while they're yeah. being tortured and going through psychological confusion or concussions. And then the actors who played the apocalypse crew—I don't know if they have a—they didn't have a name or anything. They needed branding. They needed no, like, shirts I mean, or something. We could just uh, call them
0: the Four Horsemen. So you know, yeah, that's, that's basically important. yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, they had to play characters kind of like a brainwashed cult folks but right the question you're asking is like are these people unhinged are they out of it are they just like or are they properly disturbed by something that actually happened to them and they're they all sold it pretty well in my opinion i yeah. honestly thought overall everyone did did what they were supposed to do and some of the performances were fantastic um, i'm a fan of jonathan groff um in matrix last year two years ago and then um in Broadway stuff, um, it, the originator of King George on Hamilton. Um, nice. It's good to see Jonathan Groff get him a solid film role. For a uh, he did a lot. He had an intense character with some backstory and an accent. And while he was the first to die, I don't know that that's necessarily the worst thing in the world. Um, he didn't have to do as much and didn't have to put himself out there as badly. So he's like, okay, right. I get to show up for a few days. And, right. I'd hit a home run. It was a big swing, and honestly, I think he, he did good with it. That character is pretty important because that was a possible twist. Yes, yes. Which is, I think, at the end of the day, we're not going to get into the overall theory stuff yet, but at the end of the day, a lot of the movie's possible twist was just a, not a twist. It was like, oh, yeah, turns out this dude did a hate crime a few years ago, and right. this group knows him as a different name, but who on whatever form they're on doesn't go by a different name and might not tell people what their you know what their name is or whatever but there was a possibility there's some huge twist and this guy brainwashed them he's a cult leader or something like that mm-hmm. there's a lot of nothing um uh, there there's a uh, fucked up hate crime and he's got a bad past and he kind he of even admits to that up front um but he dies early and um has a pretty he's the first one and so they really zoom in on oh the white yeah. mask when they put it over their mm-hmm. faces and a pretty gnarly character, uh, but yeah. I, feel, I feel like he did really well with a, one of the shorter roles, but one of the more intense ones for sure. Um, yeah. Everybody else in the cast, I think, absolutely crushed it. the The other husband, I thought, did a fantastic job. I really liked his character. I think maybe he's just mm-hmm. like the character I related to the most overall. Um, just the the cynic and the one with a more legal mind and trying to be rational throughout it. And he's in that yeah. way the audience surrogate. Uh, but th- that's not an easy role to do when you're being tortured. And so, yeah, I, honestly, overall, great performances from uh, solid work from the, the cast. Absolutely. That was one of the big takeaways. And uh, it, it really, that could have broken the movie pretty bad if you had a oh, yeah. corny performance. Some Mark Wahlberg in The Happening. Uh, it's possible that that movie was actually good and we just will never find out um but in this case they, they definitely did the movie favors with their performances
0: yeah no definitely and like even like the smaller characters you know like like adrian uh played by abby quinn uh nikki amuka bird who played sabrina i thought she did a fantastic job she was kind of more of like the i mean even though uh, Leonard, who's Batista's character, even though he was like a voice of reason or trying to be, she was definitely more of that voice of reason. She was like she was trying to be like the conscious, right, of everything, right, right. Yeah, right. Um, tr- at least trying so hard to be. Um, and it was just like really interesting the dynamics they had w- amongst that group. Um, but yeah, I-, I think why not? Let's the daughter, just. Too. Oh yeah, Sorry. let's talk about her really quick yeah. because that's her first yeah. movie.
1: Yeah. Music video Phenomenal. Yeah. It. Oh, yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah. No, really, really great job from her. Like, even though uh, my only criticism and I think this is just more of because she's still new. um, She does. She, she has a tendency like what other child actors do is that they tend to overact sometimes um in certain cases. And I did have that sense, like in some of the more intense scenes
1: her best stuff you wanted her to not act so tortured when her family was or scared when her family was tortured. (laughs) you wanted her to be a more subdued performance like oh yeah i'm just kind of just chilling while they're no 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 really
0: no no i mean not not for not not necessarily that um it, it just it just didn't sound like some a lot of those moments didn't sound as genuine to me um but her best stuff was in the beginning you know, when she was there sitting down with Batista when she first, they first meet. And they're just having normal conversation. And you could see in her face, like, do I trust this guy? Is this cool? She's showing
1: that with her eyes. She's, yeah, oh, yeah. she's very good at getting that across. And yeah. even when she's quiet, like, mm-hmm. I'm not allowed to talk to you. You can see her face, like, processing things. yeah Solid, yeah. That was good.
0: Yeah, so, yeah, definitely really good stuff there uh, overall. But, uh, yeah, let's, let's dive into... The story let's dive into you know the the entire plot how things panned out um some interesting tidbits from the original source material that i think would have been interesting if they really adapted that all the way um but basically the plot is simple right you have uh this vacationing family uh who are in a cabin in the woods and they get you know these four unusual people come over and they have this big claim of doom and gloom of the apocalypse coming, and if they they need their help and if you if they're willing to help then they'll end it all but unfortunately, the thing that needs to be done is amongst the family they need to pick one to be a sacrificial lamb, so to speak, and they have to kill that person cannot be killed by suicide or accidental death at all, so it actually has to be really played out like actually you know killed out and if they refuse then um each member of the apocalypse group who we should call just cut to the chase the four horsemen of the apocalypse um they have to sacrifice themselves and release a plague to the world you know so and then they, they lay all this out in biblical type terms, too. It's just like, um, you know, the waters will rise, you know, the sky will fall. There will be a plague that, you know, makes people sick and all that stuff like that. And then uh, darkness and whatever, terror will rain from the heavens and all that stuff like that. And we actually do see a good amount of that stuff happening, uh, which is really fascinating. Um, so, yeah. So with all that said, obviously, the struggle is, no, I don't want to kill a member of the family Blah, blah blah this and that, but then we have to sacrifice ourselves for the greater good. Um, so a lot of like different stuff there. The one thing that I really found really interesting is, and you alluded to it earlier, um, Rupert Grint's character. Um, you know, he was tied to an assault uh, from in the past because uh, you know Jonathan Gough and Ben Aldridge, who plays Eric and Andrew a uh, gay couple who who got married and who adopted their daughter um, actually went to China to adopt her. Um, and, you know, because she has a deformity, um, This I know this is what they do. Usually parents who have children with deformities in China will then leave them up for adoption and all that stuff um, because of whatever reasons they have. Um, so it was really interesting how that family Formed right there in China. And they even make a callback to it in the movie saying that that was the one moment where we were genuine filled with love and all that. Very heartfelt moment, very, very touching. Um, but basically, you know, you have this family trying to decide what to do and all that. But then Rupert Grant had an encounter with them at a bar in the past where he could tell he's homophobic, right? And he decides to attack one of them, right? Um, So the whole idea, and it's Ben Aldrich who kind of remembers this and say, I think I know that guy. I think that's the dude that attacked me. He goes by the name of so-and-so, blah, 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 this and that. Later on to find out that that was the guy because he checks his wallet and he sees his ID and that's his name. So you would think that, okay, maybe this guy Went on a, in a chat board somewhere, started creating this big conspiracy and all that and got several minded people to believe in him, meet up and carry out this whatever thing he wanted to do. And he's doing that just because he has this hatred towards, you know, uh, homosexual people and he wants to carry out like a reign of terror on them or whatever. And these are the first victims of, of what he's going to do. But then later on, you find out like there's these things that are happening. And I the reason why I wanted to come back to his character is because at the end of the movie, when, you know, we're left with just Andrew and the daughter, they go back to their car, the truck of the apocalypse people. And, you know, there's a moment where he's rummaging through their belongings. Right. So he sees, you know, the Sabrina's bag, you know, and she's a nurse. So you could see like she has her ID and all that you see the picture of the adrian and his you know and her uh, son who she said that she has a you know a kid all that stuff then you see a medical or something another id that has this dude's name as the name that they know him as and i will if he caught Metro
1: that a pcs name badge from work uh, is what i Pro- saw probably yeah something like that yeah it was just like some chain store looking badge employee badge but yeah right what, but Which I, made sense I, for his character's his characters' arc, I guess. Quite
0: possibly, sure. yeah. But then it, it just makes me wonder. I was like, okay, wait a minute. So this is a guy who's been kind of the more, like amongst all four of them, the one who's seen as the one who is least trustworthy, who has a history of violence and, and bad doings and all that stuff. Um, could this be something that is... Can be seen as more, you know, as far as the messaging is concerned. But then we also hear that each person in that group represents a certain uh, thing, right? You know, um, and then you could like talk more about all that stuff. But did this character stand out to you as much as it did for me, or is just that just me?
1: What is it about the badge that stands out for you?
0: The fact that he had another name, a name that he went by. Now I know name and all that stuff like that. So what if? So maybe it was a dual personality. What if it was um, something outside of that? Uh, It just, it it seemed like his story that the group knew him as was true, but he also had this other thing that uh, Andrew, you know, realized and that was also true. So there has to be some sort of tie in there um, for all of that. Like why they targeted these, these people.
1: So there doesn't have to be. And I think that's part of what the movie is about. Is what we know, how we know it, and when we think that there's something, a bigger narrative happening, and maybe that doesn't necessarily mean that there is. So in this case, like the question at the end of the movie is Is the apocalypse actually going to happen? Mm-hmm. It leaves it vague enough. In this case, that's the other major possible plot twist is Is there some conspiracy? This family is like a literal conspiracy. Is this family being hunted out? And Dave Bautista seems to be very clear, like, we had no idea who you were, we did not know you were a same-sex couple, we are very supportive, and are very glad that you all love each other. Um, and yet, the O'Bannon character, Rupert Grin's character, does have a hate crime in his past, for sure. Right. I don't think, so if you go to jail and you want to get a job at Metro PCS, and you want your new friend group to take you seriously, you might not go by the name that could easily be Googled <laughs> and find your criminal record past. There is a moment for sure where I had the thought, "Oh, there could be this could be whatever twist there is." This character found susceptible people, and what the um, what the main uh, attorney father character is, is laying out. Is they he may have just found susceptible people to go and torture this person who put him in jail because of the hate crime. Whatever narrative the hmm. guy wanted to have out why would the dude be the first one to die then and put his life on the line? You have to be a pretty sicko hate crime dude to literally martyr yourself in hopes that after you die, that family would then be tortured and definitely have a death wish, which I'm I'm not going to put it past him. That is within the possibilities of the movie. There's no reason in my mind to think that that is what's happening when dude dies and everyone else who's there seems to be pretty cool with Mm -hmm. the, the two dads. There's even the possibility I'm not going to like defend the dude. It was a hate crime and it's messed up and I hope that he was uh, punished severely for that one. But it's possible dude was very drunk and was looking to pick a fight with somebody at the bar, sure. right? Like I don't know <laughs> that there is we don't know that there is an agenda from this character to torture and target this couple and this person in particular. And we know dude doesn't remember. He didn't seem to have m- recognition that like, oh wait, I met you before you're the person who put me in jail. Like maybe that happened and they didn't show it, but I'm not trying to like make a case for one team or the other, or one theory, or the other It's just that the movie doesn't tell us certain things. And yeah. I think at the end of the day, I know that the big question for this movie is, are the apocalypse people correct? Is this a movie, a fictional movie about an apocalyptic event and mm-hmm. it coming on, and then it being staved off because of the sacrifice that's made. Or those people, the little bunkers, and they met on the forum, and they're like a lot of people in this world now, come up with crazy conspiracy theories together, egging mm-hmm. each other on, and coming to some wild conclusions to the point where they shoot up a pizza shop or whatever the hell um, right. the weirders are doing these days. I think that this is a case within the movie of there are there are no dots to connect, and it's the more it's one of the more cynical ones. Of yeah, there is a possibility that you could. Even the attorneys going like, "Hey guys, listen, you've been brainwashed by this guy, and I'm going to connect these dots for you." That was an option for the theories, but it doesn't mm-hmm. hold out, and we don't know that to be true. And at the end of the day, with the evidence we have, I think it's not true. I think the dude probably wouldn't have sacrificed himself first if that was the whole plan. You know? Right.
0: Yeah. No. It's and in, it's interesting too because the a lot of the back and forth between the family and the the four horsemen were. It's also coincidental, you know, and that was the argument where the tsunami that started that started like four hours ago, you know, like so it just so happened. Maybe they timed it. Right. The the pandemic that started happening. Right. Everyone's getting sick. It's like, oh, I've read about this, you know, like so this is stuff that's already been in the news. And if you looked at the the program, it was a pre-recorded program. So this is something that, you know, he probably knew that this program was gonna start. So he's gonna time it and he keeps looking at his watch and all that stuff like that. So of course, as you know, again, we're New Yorkers, so we tend to be cynical in in, you know, by nature. Um of course those are the things that I kind of, you know, question too. I was just like, wait a minute. Yeah, this can't this all seems very coincidental and, you know, whatever the case is. Um, But the thing that really got me was when the airplane started crashing. And it's like that, because I'm like, okay, yeah, you could coordinate some of these things, but how the hell do they coordinate the whole planes hey. crashing?
1: Well, no, wait, hey. hold on a second.
0: Hold on a I'm second. We're
1: skeptic too. Okay, go hold, ahead. Hold on a second.
0: I, I, I get like systems can break down and all that stuff like that. Maybe one of them was a hacker and planted a virus that, you know, affected all the air traffic control software and blah, blah, blah. This and all the kind of stuff like that. But for a massive global event to happen like that, that's a little bit, you know, a lot to to handle. And then the the crazy storm at the end, you know, with all the stuff happening. I mean, that's kind of something that's just like, again, can you really time the storm to a certain point like that, too? You know? Um, so it was just really, really interesting. And I mean, if you were to ask me if, if this was all really happening, um, I would like to say yes, but I, I could also understand why someone will probably, you know, think otherwise, you know, cause I mean, no one in that family saw this stuff happening outside. Like a lot of this stuff was happening through a TV, whatever the case is, you know, if they were in a very major metropolitan city, you know, like New York, Los Angeles or whatever the case is and they see, like, all of a people just start dropping or, you know, like, like crazy stuff like that happening, then I'll be like, uh-oh, you know, this this is crazy, right? But, yeah, so, and I'm sure, and I, I'm very curious to hear about your theory and all that. Um, but the one other thing I wanted to bring up, too, was, and again, another reason why I feel like it relates to signs and why I do find similarities here, the inner struggle between the family as to figuring out what to do a lot of it had to deal with hope in humanity and just hope in general. You know, like in science, you had a father who lost a wife and all that stuff. And he lost faith in, in his religion. He was a priest and there was the hope was gone and lost. And he kind of had to like learn to recapture that while the events were unfolding in front of him, right? Um, and also to help save his, his kids and his brother. Here, you know, he uh, Andrew, Andrew, the guy who we seem to love the most here, uh, because he's like the voice of reason in a way, right? He's like, I've been a victim of of hate this whole time, you know, my whole life, I've been a target of this and that, you know, even my own parents, you know, they, you know, kind of like don't respect all this and all that, so, you know, it, it's I, I I have no more faith in humanity. So are they really worth saving? You know, because he, the option is if they don't do what they're supposed to do, they're gonna be walking the rest of their lives you know through the earth with everyone gone. Everyone, you know, everything is just like completely destroyed. And he's like, well, So let's just do that. He's basically saying that, right? Because he's like, Are they worth saving? Right. And then he kind of have to, with his discussion with Eric, who kind of saw the light, no pun intended, he actually really nice. saw the light. Um, you know, he had to convince him, it's like, no, there is something worth saving. And I want our daughter to experience a fulfilled life, you know, all this kind of stuff. I have visions of both you and her, and she's all grown up you know, she has someone that she loves and this and that. So he had to convince, you know, Andrew to kind of have that faith and that hope that everything was going to work out in the end and for humanity. And that's basically how the decision was made. And Eric decided to be the one, you know, to, to go, uh, which was very touching moment, you know, and all that stuff. And, and then the way the movie ends is like what you said, they end up basically in a diner recuperating. Mm -hmm. The news reports are coming in. Oh, plane stopped crashing. The tsunami seems to be subsiding. Um, the deaths from the plague is, is dwindling down and all that. And the weather's getting better. Okay. That's great. (laughs) And then they just drive off into the sunset and all that. So, um, so it's really, really interesting and fascinating, but it is interesting how that also was a big message in here. It's kind of just like faith of hope. And, um, how do you perceive humanity? Like, is the world worth saving, you know, uh, given a certain responsibility in your hands like that? Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why. And I saw briefly some uh, reviews about this movie being a little preachy at times. Um, so I guess some could kind of see it that way. But uh, wh- what are your overall thoughts of the message? And, and what is your theory about everything that is uh, transpiring in this movie?
1: So first off, I forgot to mention this in my theater experience. You know, mm-hmm. you're in a big movie theater and there's the projector in the back. Yeah. Not long after Jonathan Groff's character is talking about seeing a shadowy figure,
0: uh-huh.
1: a person walks in front of the projector <laughs> and there's a shadow on the bottom in kind of the weird shape of a man kind of doing this thing and it's getting bigger and smaller. Oh no. And, but it's small and kind of in the corner I go to my buddy, I was like, he, and I knew, of course I knew what it was. I'm just saying, I, yeah. do you know what that, do you see that? And he goes, oh. and he, I, I'm sure he didn't think it was an actual
0: Right, right. Uh, Thought, uh, like, really apparition. Yeah. like he
1: put an actual bug on the screen. It's okay. like, Which it might it's be like an wow. way to direct this.
0: It's like he <laughs> found a new way to tell a story, and he is like, "Fuck James Cameron." At this point, like, <laughs> like, like, figured out how to like increase We're going experience. 4D.
1: We're getting a yeah. real person and hiring them in every. No, obviously, what you do is you put a little shadowy shape in the screen, <laughs> <Yeah>. but still. <laughs> That was hilarious. <laughs> That's in, in great. In this movie, the one about seeing figures in the background in yeah. the light, whatever. Overall, I'm definitely a skeptic. I'll, I'll own that label, but for good reason. You're saying mm-hmm. you have the New York skepticism to like, what are you trying to pull on me, bro? Yeah. I'm from Oklahoma and I'm from like survivalist... People and the like, the more alt-right weirdo part of the country, and the, the government's out to get us, and like the, those kind of things. Honestly, like part of the reason I'm skeptical is like 1995, Timothy McVeigh happens, and this is a person hmm. who is one of those conspiracy theory weirdos and does the OKC bombing. We've yeah. seen this throughout time of people doing like shootings and proper domestic terrorism because of message boards and groups of people who come up with theories of right. some big plan or cabal or plot. Those things to me are properly dangerous, not just in the marketplace of ideas, but can literally result in deaths of large groups of people. It's absolutely terrifying. Yeah. So I do take those things pretty seriously. And I would relate most to the husband character who is skeptical and trying to make a rational and he's the one who points out like, look, it said pre-recorded in the bottom of the right. screen. They're timing this out. And the, fan, the, uh, the four horse people are going like, oh, we have to stick to a very specific mm-hmm. schedule. And it's very yep. sus when you look at it. Or there are a couple things that even made me, the skeptic, go, maybe something is happening here. That's such a weird coincidence. But the problem with all conspiracy theories and things that can't be proven is every person they go, well, I'm not saying that it's true, but isn't it weird how the coincidences And you can connect the dots and you can connect them yourself. And isn't that weird? And human brains are built in with these biases to connect dots for pretty good reason. And sometimes those dots connect and they're true. A lot of times they connect and they're not. And it's very easy when you start to like watch for certain details and patterns, you can easily go, oh my gosh, it is the apocalypse. And then if you just like flip that lens, it's almost like an optical illusion. You just now like blink a few times and you look at it again. You're like, no, not at all. That's a paranoid weird stuff. (laughs) Overall, at the end of the day. Um, is it bizarre that 700 planes crashed in one day? Absolutely. Is that terrifying enough to give someone, to fuel someone's paranoia and convince them that the end of the world is coming? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Anytime there's a tragic event, sometimes in one individual's life or a world scale event, um, there's a study because in recent years, I've lost a couple buddies to conspiracy theory, weird stuff, and they just went too far down the rabbit hole and that. Like mm-hmm. for a while, it was all they talked about, especially after folks were spending a little too much time at home and too much time online. Right. Became pretty miserable conversations. And you got like Q is being addressed in this movie, even though they don't mention it by name. They don't even say what the form is. You know, right. it's 4chan for sure where these yeah. folks met. It has um, to be. It has to be. How can it not be? Come on. <laughs> um, at the end of the day, um, yeah. I, I mean, there are very obvious ones that are less likely clues that this is the apocalypse and some that are more likely that it's clues. So like there happens to be a storm that is so bad that it starts a fire and then the storm kind of subsides. But is that possible that that could happen in timing with someone saying like, that'll happen soon? Definitely possible. Mm -hmm. It happens in every single movie when a couple breaks, breaks up, it starts raining outside. (laughs) Um, The first movie to use that trope and this one, it's just used for apocalyptic reasons instead of heartbreaking reasons. Um, yeah. Or the bad guys are at the door and suddenly it's raining outside or the lightning strikes in the movie where they want to jump scare. Um, the one where the planes fall out of the sky, absolutely. That is so bizarre. That's never happened in human history. And the fact that it happened around, maybe a little before, a little after. The time. But that said, overall, if within a 24-hour period you were to say, fine, four times a day, you can turn on a channel and something really fucked up will be happening on the TV, yeah. I used to listen yeah. to BBC news every morning and I had to stop because it was mentally traumatizing mm-hmm. be on your morning commute with the coffee, trying to wake up. And they're talking about the earthquakes in this country and the thousands dead because of this event and the, the terrorist event in this other like world events. Yeah. Within any given day, there are four terrible things. And if you want to read between the lines, because it's my other favorite thing with Q stuff and the book of revelations and they the earth will, sh- the sky will fall like glass. And they're like, mm-hmm. well, airplanes have glass. Right. Yeah. from the sky, so that is the sky. <laughs> it's a little too right. much poetic license, my friend. Right. But so at the end of the day, I, honestly, what I like about this movie, and this is my main overall theory for it, it's a Rorschach test of a of a plot, and I love those. Mm-hmm. I love it when it's open ended. It asks the audience to do a little bit of work. What do you right. think this is about? And what do you personally believe? And if I took like the more conspiratorial minded friends to the diner afterward, we had a deep conversation about it, it would be a good movie for that for sure. I mm-hmm. um, enjoyed the conversation I had afterward with that friend. And I, I enjoying this conversation with you too. And I'm sure if someone's watching this video, it's for a similar reason. It's cause like, okay, let's get to the bottom of what's going on there. Yeah. The reason why this movie is built for that conversation is it's not very clear. And every different audience member will bring their own, how paranoid are they? Are they about the future? And do they think the moon landing is real? And are you are you a skeptic, etc.? Mm-hmm. Um, that's the main thing. We talked about it with the the character with the information we're given. Uh, we don't know that that character had some secret agenda to terrorize this specific family. And how would they have known when they would be there, etc.? But is it possible? Yeah, it's technically possible. Sure. We don't know that it's the apocalypse. In fact, one thing I like, because you mentioned this on your other video of when you're talking about the movie, they made a change from the book. And this is the exact change they made is the Rorschach plot switch, because the book, the way the book ended, you can, in that world, you can know, is the apocalypse real or is it not? Yeah. Yeah. The one where you sacrifice someone prevent the apocalypse well guess what this is one of the biggest problems with conspiracy theorists it's impossible to disprove a universal negative that's just like a basic rule of of logic and fallacies is you could never prove well the apocalypse would have happened if we didn't do this thing
0: right right yeah if you
1: don't sacrifice anybody and the apocalypse does or doesn't happen it may or may not be related to that but if you do sacrifice somebody i'm sorry i, I think i have that flipped But. Uh, in the movie, the way it happens is they do make the sacrifice. Yes. R. A. P. Jonathan Groff, and then the apocalypse subsides. But we don't know if they didn't sacrifice, if the apocalypse would have right. happened. Right. So that's what I like yeah. about this movie, and I think that's what the the main kind of what he's getting at and going for. And dude's good at making movies like that. Mm-hmm. He typically does plot twists. This one, he essentially makes the uh, non plot twist version where it's so yeah. open ended. The only other thing I want to do while, while we're in this, in this field, and then I'll throw it back to you, is you mentioned the camera work and them not showing certain events on the screen. That's brilliant. And what mm-hmm. the dude did a really good job at with just like film editing and cinematography and, and camera techniques, it's very similar to what we're talking about with connecting the dots. And if you zoom in into a certain facts, you can really quickly think some really bizarre things are true. And if you zoom out far enough and gloss over certain facts, it's really easy to think those things are or are not true. That's exactly what the camera was doing throughout this movie. There are times where it's further away and blurrier. And there's a lot of times when there is a scene of violence or action, they're not showing it on the screen. Mm -hmm. It's a great money-saving device we mentioned earlier. But also, I could see as a director, he's smart and crafty enough. He could say, well, how do we use that cheaper budget to further the plot? This is exactly how. There are times where we see things from a specific character's perspective that are pretty disorienting as an audience. So when she meets with Dave Bautista, we have a, the perspective of a tiny girl looking yeah. up and it's zoomed in on his face and he's very close to her. This is the same thing that happens when you're doing conspiracy stuff is if you look very specifically at certain details, it can change the narrative. And in this case, the story that he's telling is just a story about that itself. And so we get the camera actually telling that story. That's why I think that's what it's about. There's definitely no clear answer at the end of the day of Mm -hmm. the apocalypse. wasn't going to happen if they didn't make the sacrifice.
0: Right. Now, I I agree with a lot of that. However, and and the, the thing that I brought up and mentioned in my other video was... What if he decided to keep everything exactly as the source material was like, you know, so basically what happened in the source material in the book that this was based off of, uh, I believe it's a uh, cabin at the end of the world. I believe that's the name of the book. Um, no one decided to do anything like there was no sacrifice made at the end. And uh, it but the daughter died. So basically the daughter was shot by accident. But since it was by accident, it didn't sacrifice. stop anything. It's not a sacrifice, right? So basically, you were left with a couple just deciding not to do anything. And, you know, all the four horsemen did what they had to do. And it the, the two the two gentlemen had to just walk and, you know, figure things out on their own. And they left it pretty much just like that. Right? Not really detailing anything that's happened around them you know, explaining like, oh, wait, did the apocalypse really carry out and all that stuff like that. So I wonder how much of an effect that would have had if that was purely adapted exactly as it transpired, because here and again, you're right. M. Knight is really good at leaving things kind of open ended sometimes or leaving things to interpretation. But he did choose to go a more specific, direct route here. There is a clear cut decision. There is a clear cut kind of ending to it all. Right. So one who would just assume, OK, so they did sacrifice somebody and everything seemed to stop happening based on the news reports that people were watching in the diner and him and the daughter just drove off. By the way, lovely touch about them turning the radio on and having the same song play that they yeah. were jamming to on the way to the cabin. It, it, like in a way, it's kind of like the universe or God. You know, communicating back to them that you know your dude's fine and he's here with us, and you know him and he just wanted to say I love you guys or something like that. You know, like it was very, very touching. I thought um, was
1: that God. It wasn't the radio. It was literally like um like a CD or an MP3. I assumed. You no, was- they
0: turned on the radio. It's it's a radio. It wasn't it wasn't a pre recorded thing. I don't think so because because they no, were in they the truck the song
1: earlier on in the movie when they clicked the movie when they were like, hey, should we listen to this song? Maybe. But hold on, hold on, hold re- on. I'm not 100 percent memory.
0: Because they were in their car at the end of the movie. They're in the four horsemen's car in their truck. They took okay. their truck because if you remember, um, yeah, their know. car, right. their tires got slashed so in the in the truck okay, they yeah, just turned call. on the radio they just turned on the radio and the song popped up you know? that's
1: funny okay
0: yeah so i thought that was very touching very very sweet moment there um but uh i forgot what i was that going with shoes yeah boogie shoes <laughs> like oh is this gonna is this gonna jump on the billboards top 100 uh this week <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. have this little, what the stranger Things song from from last year that right the yeah. yeah the kate bush yeah um So the song moment, I honestly thought was funny. And that's my most messed up take about this movie is that it was a funny movie. There are moments where you're definitely not supposed to laugh. And I was kind of laughing, not because it was like so bad or like cult movie. Mm -hmm. So there's certain things that they do. And I'm sure I couldn't have been the only one experiencing this. They're doing the logistics of how do we kill these people and how do, like yeah. and those things are always kind of like absurd or bizarre. It's like the criminals, like trying to break into the bank and like having a debate of like, no, you touch the button. No, I don't know. You right. Touch the right. <laughs> like, that, like there's the logistics of this really intense messed up moment, which is, I think why it's partially funny to me is like, it's a nervous response of like, this is so absurd. But there's also the one where these people don't want to be torturing anybody mm. and they're like come on please just make the decision and that's just such an absurd premise for a movie yeah it's such an intense place to be and so the couple's like what the fuck are you talking about you don't have to be here they're like no i'm sorry i don't want to do this but i do. like it was a pretty absurd scenario to be in and to me that was i mean, they did not lean into the humor of it all overall it was very mm. sad and very messed up and it's yeah. awful torture happening but The the moment where like boogie shoes is used almost as a punchline, I didn't take it as like a sacred spiritual moment. I thought it was like a funny touch from the director. Uh, Also, I'm not really good with this genre, and I was so like nervous from the horror (laughs) movie of it all. I was pretty disassociated (laughs) to Mike. Okay, this is funny now, and they put that moment and like it felt better. So it was like almost like a nervous laugh of like release or relief or whatever. Um,
0: So what? But like, what do you think? if they did keep things directly as it was in the book, how do you think the movie would have turned out? Do you think you would have preferred it that way to be a little bit more open-ended or just oblivious?
1: No, because the problem there is if you don't make the sacrifice, but someone does accidentally die, which is another question we have for the four horsemen is like, are you sure you got the logistics exactly right when you're right. having yeah. bad visions that you barely remember? And yeah. you're not even sure who brought this up and, was it possible? Which the best conspiracy connecting the dots moment with Rupert Grens character was like, is he the one who suggested you come here because he knows about us for sure? Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, I'm pretty sure the group thought of it. Maybe it was him though. Like, certain logistical things like that. Um, with the, in the in the book version, if nothing happens or if the movie cuts before the apocalypse does or doesn't end, I don't think it's enough on screen. One, it's not as cinematic. So if sure. you're a movie director, you want to have a moment with special effects and the sky, the planes falling from the sky, even though they're not showing too much of it, lightning and the tree catching fire. It's a more cinematic experience. It's more compelling mm-hmm. in that way. But also, that is the counterweight to the skeptic like me saying none of this was real is we actually experienced the terror that the family was experiencing in yeah. a way and we go, oh, this is why you might believe it's real. Because if you don't show apocalyptic events, I'm definitely not going to think it's real. I'm going to walk out being like, oh, that was a big... Um, was it a hairy dog story of a movie? where uh, We got really yeah. excited about maybe the apocalypse will happen and then nothing happened. Right. That's the main problem with that version of telling the story. It's a less entertaining movie, and it doesn't give you the counterbalance of, well, there are some things happening on screen that look pretty damn apocalyptic.
0: Yeah. No, I, I get that. Yeah, I, I guess for me, it just... I don't know. I love movies that are very obscure in those ways and are just very like, you know what? We're we're just gonna end it the way this way and you decide like what what really happened and all that. Um because I'm sure there's there, there are cinematic ways to tell a story in that particular way. And I'm pretty sure M Knight would have done a brilliant job in figuring that out. Um I, I do feel like though having that clear cut decision, having that clear cut kind of finale at the end uh it's more in the betterment of the audience i feel it's more just like you know let me help you and let you know that no this is exactly what happened this is exactly what's going on in here because i feel like if you you confuse the audience too much then they're gonna be like what the fuck did i just watch and all that you know the guy who 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 screamed at the end of the movie could you just imagine his reaction if that happened that way uh, he probably I would know, have just went whatever. bananas.
1: <laughs> I love it when haters don't like movies. It means that it was probably oh, yeah. a better movie. Uh, yeah. they, it's definitely better than they would think, for sure. Yeah, no, um, definitely. You know I like a good, independent, quiet, subdued movie, and if this was the Jim Jarmusch version of the movie where literally nothing happens, you never even, like, you're just people bullshitting in a room for a long time. <laughs> right. Um, I would love that movie. Mm-hmm. It's not the movie that this was, and if If the end – if the point of the movie, if its success is dependent on leaving the audience with that Rorschach test of what do you think happened, it's better to show some things that would lead them to believe it did happen and was true and some things that would make them believe that it wasn't true. But would I personally like that movie? Yeah, I would go see that. Uh, If if there was two movies at the theater – one that was just a weird indie silent, like quiet version where nothing ever happens on the screen. You know, I'm a pervert for that stuff. I love being <laughs> by, by directors and, and great right. performances. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Well, as we close out this discussion for this movie in particular, and, you know, I think it'll be fun if we kind of just like quickly, you know, discuss our favorite M. Night Shyamalan movies. Cause again, huge, huge uh, line of work there. Uh, a lot of years to go through. Uh What was your final letterbox rating of this movie?
1: I'm a generous reviewer, so I know that based on what most people say it'd probably be a three or a three point five, but I gave it a four because okay, I was, like very few things to knock rate on all the technical categories knock at act, the cabin
0: yeah, you said knock, knock
1: no no. no. <laughs> <Don't mess it> <laughs> <in>. <laughs> um, they said that they want you to let them in that i should let you know that i'm telling you do not let them in yeah don't um, let them in one. yeah <laughs> um, but yeah i give it i give it a four
0: out of five that's good that's actually uh, that's in alignment with what i gave them uh, i gave i gave it a four really? too so yeah yeah and i'm a little bit yeah. more strict when i give my ratings um yeah. also i yeah. i think i feel I feel like okay. Now that I'm gonna be doing this letterbox thing, I'm gonna be very direct with my ratings. I'm gonna. I'm not doing half ratings, so it's. It was either gonna be a three or a four. That's it. So yeah. So I'm not no doing three and a half. Or or I, no, no, no. I'm gonna do ones, twos, but I'm not doing half ratings. I mean, so I'm not gonna do like not a two and a half. half. I'm not gonna do a three and a half. Yeah, I'm okay. just gonna keep okay, it okay, solid. That's it. Just gonna keep it solid and just be straightforward like that. But uh, yeah, no, that's great. Um, again, curious as to all your thoughts. We say this all the time. We love having discussions with all of you. We want to know, knock at the cabin. How did you like it? I'm sure you've seen it by now or you don't want to see it because this is a filled with spoilers and you just ruined the movie for yourself if you haven't <laughs> seen it yet. But yeah, let us know your thoughts and if this was a movie that really gelled with you. And, and most importantly... How would you rank this in your list of M. Night Shyamalan movies? Because I think that will be an interesting conversation to have, especially now that, you know, M. Night is getting into his later years in life. Um, How is his movies ranking compared to like his gems, his, his, uh, you know, critical acclaim movies and all that. So um,
1: before we move on, especially if we're clipping out the the theory part of it, the only other thing, and I'm curious on the comments. Um, I, I always love when there's a lively debate there. There's yeah. this other theme that's happening in the movie which is choosing a family member and losing a family member which like there are real stories of a family friend this is a real one who the mom became a Q weirdo and literally the kids stopped talking to her because it's all she talked about like there there is a there are real implications here there's one where someone is kind of making choices within their family in the polarized political world we're in of um, do we care about recycling? And do I care if my grandkids are able to breathe the air? And those are right. like debates that happen at Thanksgiving. Is like, do you not love your family as we get into a more polarized world? That said, every character in here, in the movie, to my mind, is in some version of, do you sacrifice your child? And I think most people go into the movie with the premise, I would never abandon my child. No mm-hmm. one ever would. So this will never happen. However, One of the dads gets cut off by his family. That is a real thing that happens in life tragically. Daughter is adopted for the the reason you mentioned earlier. Um, I I think that's at least implied in the movie. If Batista is a teacher um, who coaches a basketball, uh, a Mm -hmm. girls basketball squad, he's abandoning abandoning them in his mission and his death mission, as it turns out. Um, The one woman, it's confusing. Does she have a daughter or not? She does. She's abandoning that child. Rupert Grint's character was abused by his father, and there was some story like, I would have loved to have killed my dad, or if only I had this weapon, then something like that. The other woman, at the very least, we know that she was a nurse, and she was in a caretaker role for people, and she's like, yeah, I didn't think I'd end up here driving across the country to uh, to do this also,
0: Also, her case, too, was that I think her mom was extreme religious. And she oh, was yeah, dealing right. with all that, yeah. yeah. So she was dealing with a lot of that stuff. So yeah, she turned
1: her back on that at the yep. very least. Mm-hmm. She she mentioned yep. that she was skeptical. So overall, I think that's another theme in the movie, which Shy- Shyamalan is good at family and faith and mm-hmm. questions like that. I'm curious. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that one, but I think it's just something worth noting that when we're when the characters on screen are being asked the question you have to choose a member of your family Mm -hmm. i know that the correct answer is don't choose a member of your family to kill especially in case these people are weirdos but as it turns out this happens all the time and in the political events where this movie could be metaphor for environmental stuff or at the very least it seems pretty clear it's, it's a metaphor for the weirdo conspiracy online communities kind of thing um Were these people are correct and they did predict the apocalypse and that uh, very good that Jonathan Groff died because then you could save millions of lives by sacrificing your own, whatever. But I thought that was, that was a compelling thing to include in there of making that at least a little more palatable for the audience. Yeah, no, for sure.
0: And yeah. And I, and I think it also goes back again to, you know, Andrew's character and him giving up on humanity You know, at one point and then coming to that realization is like, is humanity really worth saving because of all of this shit? You know, and um, what Eric told him and I I just pulled this up uh, while you you were you were talking is, you know, Eric, mind you, had a concussion pretty much the whole time. So even like the light that he saw could have been caused by the concussion, right? So again, you're you're just putting a lot of faith in like, oh, this is all really, truly happening. But, you know, he's saying like, I'm clear headed. And he tells that he believes this is when we first hear them referred to as the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? And each person represents a certain aspect of humanity. So it's really about humanity's complexities. Leonard, a teacher, like you said, represents humanity's guidance, Sabrina, who's a nurse, uh, is the capacity to heal. Adrian, heal. A, a cook, is the ability to nurture. And Redman is the guy who attacked Andrew. Is about uh, humanity's inherent malice. Alice, you know, yeah. yeah. So again, amazing revelation that you could easily miss if you weren't paying attention at that moment. But then when you look back at everything, you're like, wow makes perfect sense and again talk about messaging and all that and how it ties into humanity because again humanity is filled with all of this stuff you know but then there's still you know good in in humanity and there's still hey, hope and fate and a lot of it centered along the daughter and the loving the daughter and how true love really is and that's what the three experienced when they met when for the first time um, so yeah, I'm very, very curious how people were going to take to that and that kind of understanding of, well, yeah, we may have family members that are, we, we don't agree with, or we don't you know, necessarily, uh, choose to, uh, have around or, or represent them anymore and all that. But at the end of the day, what, it, what will out trump all of that stuff? You know, like, like, is it the family bond? Is it the love? Is it, you know, whatever fate that someone can do good or, or be better, you know, um, despite all the crazy complexities of the world and all that. So very, very interesting stuff. And that's like more of the deeper stuff that you would get into in yeah. this type of movie, you know? Yeah. um, So, yeah, really, really good stuff. That's there. why I think it was a
1: successful movie. And why I think yeah. it was, I'm, I, I know we're going to get into it, but I, I'm going to say top five of his movies okay. for sure. I know it's okay. not my one spot, but I know we're getting into that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And let, yeah, let's do that for sure. Because I think, again, that is the type of conversation a lot of people are going to be having now that this movie's out. Is like, how would this rank in the Shyamalan library? Right. So um, I, I, how do you want to do this? you want to go like in like real order or just like no order whatsoever? Just name your top five.
1: I'm happy to do either way. I have not seen a handful of his movies because either the okay. genre or his, his reputation had changed. But yeah. I know personally, I could. Uh, I've got one controversial one to throw in here. But I, I'm guessing you've seen more of his. So if yeah. uh, are you comfortable going first?
0: Yeah, yeah, I'll go first for sure. Um, and and I'll do it in no particular order. These are just like the top five movies that I really like of him, uh, of his uh, to date. So uh, definitely, like I mentioned earlier in the episode, uh, signs. Science is like one of the movies by far, the one, uh, one of the ones that I like the most, I would probably say if I were to rank it, it is probably my number one movie of Shyamalan is science. Um, number two would be unbreakable. Uh, I really love the, the comic book aspect of that, that really spoke to me. And I feel like that is one definitely one of the earlier comic book type of movies without it really being promoted as such. So I really, really like that a lot. Um, I would say The Sixth Sense comes after that because that is definitely one of those movies that was lightning in a bottle that was so amazing, especially once the reveal was made at the end. It was, again, what spearheaded his whole career, right? It's like what brought him into the forefront. The fact that he made this amazing movie with uh, one narrative and then having that narrative completely turn around once a revelation was made. Like I don't think we've ever experienced such a thing like that. Uh, Maybe the closest one we experienced was maybe seven, you know, that I could remember, you know, the whole uh, thing about uh, how it all came full circle and how it affected uh, Brad Pitt's character at the end and all that. What's in the box? Well, surprise. Um, So I thought that was really, really good. Um, So that's three there. I would say um, The Village. Uh, I think a lot of people uh, would not. Consider the village to be one of his best, but I do, and I think if you really look again at the messaging behind it all, it's very, very deep in its own way. And I felt the acting was very brilliant in that movie too. You have Joaquin Phoenix, Bryce Dallas Howard in that movie, um, really, really well done overall uh, across the board. Um, and then I would say that the fifth movie in my top five would probably be uh, Split. I I think Split. Wow holds a very close uh, p- place in my heart because I went into that movie not realizing that it was a proper sequel to uh, Unbreakable. Yeah. And it, that was like, again, for someone who has that revelation twist mentality in some of his movies and who's kind of, you know, because remember, before Split, he this was during the period of M. Night's kind of Uh, quieter years right where people were just tired of him um this kind of brought it back for me because i was just like what like this whole this whole time we were watching something in the split universe like in the unbreakable (laughs) universe i was just like are you kidding me um so that was like a huge thing uh for me and also i think i benefited from the fact that i saw a screening of it i met james mcavoy at the end i walked out and bruce willis was just standing there in the lobby and I was just wow. like, what the hell is happening here? <laughs>
1: like,
0: wow. Yeah. So, the
1: x for sure.
0: Yeah. And 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 I have to tell you, Bruce Willis looked like he was completely out of it. Now understanding what he's going through now, it makes oh, yeah. much more sense to me wow. now. Because he would look yeah. like he was in a fog when I saw him in the lobby. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I took a picture of him. And he, I felt like he was just staring into my soul because uh, he didn't even say a word yeah but now understanding what he's going through i'm just like oh okay now it makes complete sense that i felt terrible but but yeah knock at the cabin i want to see it one more time because you know usually like this is one of his movies that you could definitely watch again um yeah. and you know pinpoint other things uh i definitely want to watch it again to see like where it ranks but it probably it will probably be close to my To my top five for sure um yeah yeah,
1: i think at the end of the day it's it's my it's in my sixth spot but i always when i when i try to fight against recency bias by lowering my ranking of the newer one Mm -hmm. kind of thing so anyway um number one spot is he did a time to dream american express commercial back in 2006 it was only about two minutes no i'm just kidding um (laughs) that's my, my my controversial choice uh in seriousness uh well, yeah oh i can't now <laughs>
0: now i can't wait when we have our wes anderson conversation because uh, if, if you're gonna bring up commercials yeah. i think he done He's some, some of the ones. most brilliant commercials yeah
1: yeah beautiful work there yeah. for sure a commercial <laughs> filmmaker what about a real commercial film oh yeah oh yeah um so anyway uh i'm gonna go with uh hold on i had yours here because we have a lot of overlap on ours but i'm gonna go okay. and say i've spot lady in the water or six cents three the village two is signs and number one is unbreakable oh okay. i remember unbreakable blowing my mind i was pretty young when i saw it which this is one of the one of the first auteur directors who i'm kind of growing up with and i don't think i saw unbreakable in real time but not long after and then i remember like Village and Lady in the Water, some of the first appointment viewing everyone's got to go see this movie, um, and not just like Star Wars movie, but like everyone's gonna go see this director as if it's like early day Spielberg, like oh, we're gonna go see the dude who made Jaws kind of movie. Um, so that's been one of my one of the more interesting things to watch with the trajectory of his career, but I remember live reaction to lady in the Water in the theaters like people were not happy and they were confused. yeah, I loved it. I thought it was a very literary story about myth and fables and the stories we tell each other like i I feel like I got it. but I also know that if somebody went in wanting another sixth in signs of the village, they would have been pretty pissed off. yeah but At the end of the day like is it is it this dude's fault that people went into his movies with no offense but like pretty dumb expectations maybe it was a marketing fault like, from the guy who brought you this thing, prepare to have your world rocked. If that's what's happening, that's that's not good. But it'd be bizarre to expect a director like you'd have to be pretty off on on your expectations to to think a director is going to blow your mind every time that it's always going to be mm-hmm. a great movie. I do understand being disappointed. Like I know this dude can do better work, but if your assumption is that there will be some amazing plot twist and you're expecting that it's now impossible to have a plot twist that will blow your mind. So I yeah. do think this dude's ha- been unfairly maligned with his reputation. and It's good to see that leveling out where I saw it with old. And now we're definitely seeing it more with this movie. People saying, this guy's really good at directing movies. Um, and, and without that pressure of this new young genius, the next Spielberg, the next, Hitch- next Hitchcock, he's only 27 or however, however young he was when he made um, six Sense. But yeah, that's uh, that's my list. Um, stand by it. And I, honestly, cool. I think at the end of the day, Knock of the Cabin might end up in a four or five spot. It, be, mm. it probably won't break past that.
0: Okay. Yeah, no. Um, I think the one of the things, and just to go back as to what you were saying, I think <clears throat> Hollywood definitely had a play in hyping up M. Night, like to audiences big time. And, and I think in a way it also gave him an ego. Um, because, you know, if you've watched interviews of him in the past, he was very full of himself at a certain point. And I think this happened like around the science village years. Um, and again, it's because Holly was toting him as the next Hitchcock, as the next, you know, Spielberg and all that, you know, his movies were getting a lot of traction and a lot of attention. And that led into the way that they would market his movies too, you know, again, I say that he loves seeing his name on the big screen was because they kept putting it there. You know, it's like boom, 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 M. Night Shyamalan. Or oh, the way he's putting
1: himself in every movie, the Easter egg right. Yeah, going to be, who, which character is he playing.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so I think that that kind of had like a negative effect for sure. And then especially once, it, once he hit, I guess, quote unquote, rock bottom for him, um, he kind of like changed his tune a little bit and wanted to go back to more of like the more simpler times of when he was directing and writing stuff. And I think we kind of saw that once the visit uh, came out, you know, which a lot of people were, were saying that was like kind of his return to prominence. Then split glass was a little glass was a little bit mixed and divisive with the fan base Old, I did not like old at all. Uh, I don't know what you feel about old, but I did not like that one bit. Um, But then Knock at the Cabin, which I found to be very entertaining and all that. And definitely one of his more simpler movies that we've gotten in recent years. Um, Again, budget wise, choice of framing, choice of uh, showing certain things and not showing like the full thing. You know, if you look at old, glass, split, those definitely had bigger budgets because of the certain special effects that they had to do and all that stuff. Um, Knock at the Cabin was very simple. And I think I I like that more from him. And I would like to see him, if he could team up somehow with Blumhouse and just do like several different things with them, I I think that would be brilliant. But of course, he's not, he's already past that, uh, I feel like, uh, in his career. Or maybe if he did something with A24, I don't know.
1: Yeah. I'm excited to see what his next opportunities are because dude still got the touch for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. The the ability, the technique, all that. Mm -hmm. He's definitely not washed.
0: Yeah, no, I enjoy it. So yeah, let us know again, what are your Shyamalan rankings? You know, again, where does Knock at the Cabin land? Where does that land in your ranking of Shyamalan movies? What are your top five? Let us know in the comments. Let's have a discussion about all this stuff. Uh, What is your worst... M. Night Shyamalan movie. And I'm pretty sure many people are going to say The Last Airbender because that was pretty damn unwatchable, Uh, especially if you were a fan of the cartoon series of Nickelodeon. But that being said, this has been an episode of Movie Time. Thank you so much for watching. Definitely looking forward to having you join us in our next episode with whatever we're going to talk about. We'll figure it out. We'll let you know. But before we head out for the day, Blake, where can people find you on the interwebs?
1: You can find me on the website, letterbox.com, with the screen name of Last Name Wolf. No punctuation, each word, common spelling. Last Name Wolf.
0: Nice. And as for me, you could find me on the Letterbox website, too. At the low key geek. So make sure to follow me there. Follow us there because uh, especially Blake. Blake has a bunch of unique lists that you have to check out for yourself, um, which I I'm sure and I and I will hold to this. uh, We are definitely going to do some episodes based off some of your letterbox lists. (laughs) because it's it's fantastic but of course you can find me twitter instagram most importantly facebook you see all the handles on the screen there in front of you if you haven't done so yet please hit that like button subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already takes you a couple seconds doesn't cost you a thing hit that notification bell to get notified of every time a new video is uploaded if you're looking for an audio version of this type in Loki Geek on your podcast platform of choice where you can find this and many other episodes to download. So with all that out of the way, this has been Movie Time. I've been Renee. That's been Blake. We will catch you all next time. Stay cool, stay classy, stay safe, and stay sane. Peace out, everybody. See you next time.